0: I once heard someone say that resolutions are a to-do list for the first week of January. So I imagine that some of you have, uh, maybe you've got some things on your to-do list this first week of January. Hey, if you're, um, if you're just joining us in person or online, and if you've got a Bible on you, and I hope you do have a Bible on you, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 3. You have caught us, uh, uh, today is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany Sunday is a Sunday in the church calendar where we celebrate uh, the ways in which uh, the light of God that's come into the world in and through Christ at Christmas extends to the whole world. Uh, Epiphany is is, uh, about celebrating that Christ comes um, not just in a spirit of Christmas which is sort of a short season where we kind of just have presents and it's all exciting but instead uh, Epiphany is about declaring that the king has come, the light of the world has come and that has implications for everybody. And so we gather together remembering and thinking of the wise men who met Jesus on his birth, who represented people from faraway lands, who, for him, he would be their king as well. And we just sang a song, right? Come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn king. It is our belief that we gather together every Sunday to worship Christ, not who just was king, but Christ who is king, and not just of us, but of the whole world. Amen? Amen. And that's what we celebrate on Epiphany Sunday. So this morning we will be in a text that deals with some of the implications of Christ the King for the whole world. And we'll do that by diving into Ephesians chapter 3. When I was in high school as a freshman, I got the unique privilege and opportunity to head to Mexico on a Mexico missions trip. It was one of the things that my high school youth group did. We would travel from the Bay Area, uh, Northern California, down through Southern California, through San Diego into Mexico, where we would stay for an entire week, helping to build houses, helping to share the gospel, helping to partner with local churches in their mission and their service of their community. My freshman year, I got an opportunity to go on this Mexico missions trip and we drove the first leg from Northern California to Southern California and we took a break for a meal as you often do. The vans pulled over, high school students piled out of the vans and headed into a restaurant that I'd had some familiarity with but I'd never actually been before. That restaurant was called In-N-Out Burger. In-N-Out Burger, when I was in high school, really only existed in Southern California. It didn't make its way up to the Bay Area until I was in middle high school. But right at the beginning, this was a brand new restaurant for Southern California people only. If you're not familiar with In-N-Out Burger, uh, it's very much a California thing. Uh, It's the best burger in the country and terrible french fries, which we Californians convince ourselves are good uh, because we're from California. But we, uh, we, we pile into In-N-Out Burger, as a high school students do. Never been there before. And I ordered, I looked at the menu, and I ordered what was on the menu. I ordered a cheeseburger, uh, may have been a double-double, right, a, 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 and, I, and some fries, and sat down with a group of my high school friends. Now, some of them appeared to know information that I didn't know. Because as I looked across the plethora of things that were on their plates, there were all kinds of options that were not on the menu as I remember standing in front of it. Some people had, uh, uh, like, they had a Neapolitan milkshake. Some people had um, their burgers seemed to be just covered in sauce and pickles and grilled onions. Uh, One kid had a sort of tray of burger. It wasn't even an edible burger. It was a tray of burger. And I remember going, what is that? And it it was like an eight by eight, which apparently means like eight patties and eight cheeses in a box, which is, Something really only a high school student would ever consider consuming. But I remember sort of being like in a strange place feeling like here I've got my very basic meal and everybody else, they all seem to know the secrets. I felt embarrassed and didn't ask any questions. I got into the bus and I remember sitting next to a student with me and I remember asking, hey, what did you order at In-N-Out Burger? And he had said, I got, you know, an animal style burger. And I said, "Uh, what does that mean? And you could just see the delight on his face as he was about to give me an entrance to a secret club. The In-N-Out secret slash not-so-secret menu. His face lit up with delight as he began to tell me about all of the things that were available. All of the menu options that were hidden from my very eyes which were there but I didn't know about it. He went on. ...with delight to tell me that I could have gotten a root beer float or a grilled cheese sandwich... ...or I could have gotten mysterious goopy cheese on my french fries. There were all sorts of options available that I didn't know. He was happy to tell me about the beauty of the In-N-Out secret menu... to, ...to give me my pass into this, well, not so exclusive club. And then we head into Mexico to tell people about Jesus... ...but I remember being sort of strangely struck by the fact that telling people about Jesus... ...never really came with the same excitement that it did on the bus... ...explaining to me the beauties of the In-N-Out secret menu. And I started to wonder, i reflect on that day as I've gotten older... ...about the kinds of things that we are excited to share... ...the kinds of secrets that we are excited to invite people into... You know, our country is increasingly weary and, and sort of concerned about a proselytizing or the sharing of one's religious views. But make no mistake, we do live in a country where people are still just as excited as ever to share their views. In fact, maybe more so than ever. But it's interesting that often our faith, our our, our religion, our views of Jesus and God, that those sorts of things are the kinds of things that we're more tempted to keep a secret. It's challenging to share our faith, challenging to tell people in our lives about the good news of Christ, the newborn king that we've sung about. I want us to reflect for a few minutes this morning about whether or not the good news, the gospel that we hold to, whether or not it has become a secret for us. Whether it's become a secret for you. A kind of good for me, not for thee sort of secret. And this morning... I want to allow Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to allow Scripture and Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, God's very word, to sort of challenge us to to think again and to see again the beauty of the gospel and its implications for the whole world. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Ephesians chapter 3, where we will together look at the first 12 verses. Ephesians is a book written by Paul, ...to the church in Ephesus. Paul, writing this letter, this letter to this church, to the Ephesian people... ...at the time he writes this letter, he is in prison. And he is written thus far in the first two chapters of Ephesians. He's written about some glorious doctrines and the, the beauty of Christian faith. And then here in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, he begins to get a little bit more personal. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. Follow along with me if you've got it in front of you. Verse 1, Paul says this. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation... As I have already written briefly. In reading this then. You'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to people in other generations. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to spend a few minutes in Ephesians 3, the text we just read together. Ephesians 3, 1 through 12. First, let's look at the first six verses, and then we'll look at 7 through 12. Divided into two parts. The first part, verses 1 through 6. Here's the major idea that I want you to understand this morning. Here's the major idea of Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. Here it is. Because of Jesus, everyone gets an invitation to the party. Because of Jesus, everybody gets an invitation to the party. Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 3 by saying that he's a prisoner. And, and the reality is that when he writes this text, he is in fact in prison. He has been put in prison. Why? Because wherever Paul goes, he begins to proclaim a mystery as he puts it. Now, mystery in English is a little bit different than the word mysterion in Greek. The word mystery in Greek is, uh, is, is to be viewed as an open secret. Much like in and out, right? Much like a thing that it's like, it's accessible. It's been made revealed. You can access it. You can know it. You don't have to be on the outsider of it. In English, when we talk about mysteries or we talk about secrets, we talk about things that are hushed and kept private, things that are closed off and hidden, things that we might not have access to, things we would not be able to listen to. But but in, in, in Greek, the word for mystery is that which was once hidden, but now made open and available to all. And Paul says that this mystery is central to what it is that he's going through. He says in verse 2, "You surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me in you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Paul has the mystery, something that was sort of hidden, is now not hidden. It's now open. It's now available. It now can be seen by all. How and why? Because Paul got this through Revelation. He makes that clear if you know Paul's story. Paul was zealous. He was zealous in his pursuit of God. Zealous in his protection of the the, uh, character of God. Zealous in his desire to see that God not be thought of differently than God is. So zealous, in fact, that when Paul first hears about the proclamation that this Jesus is the Messiah, that he is king of the whole world, Paul begins to persecute those who would in any way, shape, or form elevate Jesus. And then Paul famously, as some of you know, is traveling on the road to Damascus. Where he is then blinded by the light of God. Jesus appears before him. Jesus asks him why it is that he is persecuting not his people, but himself. And Paul is converted on that road. He is struck blind by the light. So that he would then become someone who would, wherever he went, begin to proclaim the good news that he was wrong about Jesus. That Jesus truly is who he says he was. That Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. That Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jewish people, but he is the Savior of all people. He proclaims this with great confidence. Why? Because God has revealed himself. We have revelation. Revelation, a word that means to reveal. God has revealed himself. Christianity is about revelation, not about speculation. Do you ever notice how often people have speculation about who God is? The Bible teaches that there are two kinds of revelation. There's what we would call general revelation. General revelation is access and information about God that we can plainly know just by looking at the world around us. If you look carefully at the world around us, you can see that God is a God who cares about beauty. Have you ever seen the sun set over the Pacific Ocean? God is a God who is, who, is, who is not just awesome, but just sort of vast in his power, in his depth and breadth. We can see that by looking at the stars that are far off in the galaxies. God is powerful. God is, God is timeless. God is a creator. We, we know that God is good because we look at our own human hearts and we believe in our own hearts that good is a thing and evil is a thing. Sure, some of us deny the reality of good and evil. About 20 years ago, famously in a debate, Bertrand Russell, the great atheist philosopher, he said that the Holocaust was not wrong. He didn't like it, but he didn't have the ability to call it evil. Much to the dismay of his audience, who recognizes, as you do today, that when we, we, when we see evil in the world, we can call it evil. And we can call it evil because God has written the knowledge of good and evil on the human heart. We have the ability to see that there are things that are good and there are things that are evil. And we can see them as such. That's through general revelation. We can generally know some things to be true about God. Because God has made them plain to us. But the Bible also speaks of Special revelation, namely that God reveals Himself in special ways. In Scripture, we believe that God has revealed Himself. When we gather together each Sunday and we read out of this sacred text, we are not just reading a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in Ephesus, we are reading God's very words. God wrote a book to reveal Himself. And we see the greatest and clearest revelation of God. In the person of Jesus, the one who we celebrate's birth at Christmas, that that in Jesus, God is made flesh, God is made real. We can know who God is through special revelation. We don't have to practice speculation. We have revelation. Go around today and ask people in your life what they think about God. They'll those There will be some who say they don't believe in God. And that's true, there are people who don't believe in God. But there are lots of people who, in our particular context, believe in God. And then you ask them questions about the God they say they believe in. And all of a sudden, it becomes very speculative. Well, I think that God's kind of like this. Well, I think that here's how God would react in this situation. Well, here's what I think God thinks about this particular behavior. Well, here's what I think God would do about this particular concern. People speculate all the time. Friends, we have something way better than speculation. We have revelation. God has revealed himself, and that's good news. Amen? We don't have to speculate. Some of you bought Christmas gifts. Aren't speculative Christmas gifts the worst kind to get? Some of you did it this time, right? You went out and you bought a Christmas gift. I know you did it, and you wrapped it. And then you crossed your fingers, and you hoped, you hoped that the person, when they opened the gift, was going to love it. But you didn't know. You weren't entirely sure. Maybe, maybe, you just kind of winged it. And maybe that went really well for you. And you thought, oh, I can't wait. I don't, I don't want to have to do that again. I'm so glad I have another year before I have to do that again. Others of you, you had a gr- strong sense that the particular gift that I'm getting for my kids, my spouse, my friends, my coworkers, right? My parents. I knew if I get them that gift, I know they're going to love it. Why? Because you knew something about their character. You knew what they loved. You knew what they don't love. It is such a beautiful thing. We can know what God loves. We can know what God cares about. We can know what God thinks. We can know what God wants us to do. We can know that because we don't have to speculate. We have revelation. Let me ask you this morning. Is what you think or know about God based on speculation or revelation? I want to tell you that if it's based on speculation, if you're not careful, you'll begin to start to blend in to the cultural ideals around you, bending and shaping your views of God, not from God to your world, but from your world to God. And the beautiful thing about Epiphany and the king of all creation is that we have declared again and again, that God is not just the God of our particular time, our particular place, but of all people in all places, which means every culture is going to get some things right about God and every culture is going to get some things wrong about God. In order to know God, to serve God, to love God, we need revelation and brothers and sisters, there's good news. God has revealed himself in Scripture and in the person of Jesus. So, Paul says he's been entrusted with this mystery, a mystery that came by way of revelation. What is that mystery? Well, he says it right there in verse 6. He makes it clear. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise. In Christ Jesus. That is the mystery that Paul declares. Paul declares that outsiders are invited to the party and that they have equal standing in Christ. Paul goes out of his way to use these three terms same heir, same body, same promise. Now, why is this so controversial? So much so that Paul is put into prison. If you read the book of Acts, you will sometimes see Paul preaching and there will be sort of Jewish leaders that will come around him and they'll sort of listen to what he says. And then Paul will say something truly outlandish. He'll begin to suggest that people who are not from the tribe of Israel, people who are not Jewish, but rather Gentile, Gentile just means not Jewish, that they are invited to the party as much as the Jews are. And this gets Paul in a lot of trouble. This is the controversial claim that he makes. Paul will proclaim again and again that Jews and Gentiles, once divided and separated, are now united to one another by being united to Christ. Now, in order to understand why this is controversial, you have to understand what they thought before. See, before it was not uncommon ...for Jewish men to wake up in the morning and to pray prayers... ...thanking God that he did not make them a Gentile. Now you probably don't pray a prayer similar to that... ...but there was a time and a place when people did pray prayers... ...where they would say, God, thank you for this morning... ...and thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile. And there was a belief at the time... That maybe Gentiles, maybe they would be able to come into God's kingdom. Maybe maybe they would get an invite to the party. But in order for them to do that, there's a couple stipulations. First, they were going to have to convert to Judaism and live under Jewish authority. So the the Gentiles, they could be a part of the party. They were just going to have to be treated as second class citizens, right? They weren't privileged like the Jewish people were. So there was this expectation. We are God's people. God has chosen us. The Gentiles, you don't want to be like them. Sure, they can come to the party. But if they come to the party, they're going to have to become like us. And they're going to have to be subservient to us. To our way of doing things. And then along comes Jesus who makes it abundantly clear, revealing to Paul and to the others, and now to the whole church, that the church is the body of Christ, and in Christ, Jew and Gentile were equal. This is a radical revelation. And the reason you're here, the reason we're here right now worshiping, is because of this reality That in Christ, all Jews and Gentiles are equal in Him. All people enter into the party, enter into the kingdom of God through Christ. All people are equal in Christ. All people are saved by Christ. All people are united to Christ. And the language around the church is, it's a body, a family, a party, an inclusive gathering, open to everyone, but through the exact same doors. You see, you've got to get this. When I start talking about the inclusivity of the party, of the kingdom of God, some of you get really excited. You get really excited because I hope that what you're thinking of and what you should start to think of is this question. Who are those who get excluded? Who are the people in your life, in your world in our culture, that we are tempted to believe, you know, Christianity, it's not for them. It's not for them. Maybe you are the kind of person who has a heart for the ways in which too often the church has excluded Certain kinds of people from certain places. Maybe maybe you're the kind of Christian who gets frustrated because you feel like the church just kind of appeals to only a certain kind of person and leaves a whole bunch of people out. And maybe you're the kind of person who goes, if Christianity is true, it's got to be for everyone. And to that, the Bible says, God says, amen. But hear this. It is true that Christian faith is inclusive of everyone. It is the most inclusive religion you could possibly imagine. It includes everyone because everyone gets an invitation. But the invitation requires that every single person enters through the same doors. The blood of Jesus. By repentance and faith. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. That is true. Our identity comes from our geography. We are united in Him. We are either in Christ or not in Christ. And, And the question that we are asked again and again in Scripture is, are you in Christ? Are you a part of the kingdom? Are you part of the party? And have you come in by the blood and grace and goodness of Jesus? By repentance and faith. That's the only way in. That's the only way in to the party. Everyone gets invited. Everyone's got to come through the same doors. Well, What if you've got a lot of sins? What if I've got a lot of sins, Trevor? How do I get in if I've got a lot of sins? Through repentance and faith in Christ. Well, what if I'm a pretty good person? What if, I'm, what if I'm pretty good? What if I look around and I go, I'm better than most people I know. How do I get in? Repentance and faith. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I always post on social media about the issues of the day. I educate people, I inform them, and I march for justice. How do I get in? Repentance and faith. Hold on, I'm an an influential person. I'm a successful person. How do I get in? Repentance and faith. Wait, I'm a nobody. I, I feel like I'm a nobody. I feel like my whole life is messed up. I feel like I feel like I can't get it right two days in a row. I feel like my resolutions, I've already... I mean, I just can't even do two... Two days in a row I can't get things right. How do I get in? Repentance and faith. It's the same answer every time. In Jesus, everybody is invited to the party. And in Jesus, everybody in the party is equally indispensable. You know, in the Bible... Christians are not asked to be the same as everybody else. We are not asked to agree on everything. We're not asked to like everyone. We're not asked to do to, to any of those things. We are asked to see each person in the kingdom of God as indispensable and to make sure that no person gets treated like they don't matter as much. Do we do that? When we show up, do we thank the people who show up early to serve? Are we careful to make sure that we don't show favoritism? We must, if we are a church, understand that everybody is invited to the party. I I want you to believe that. I want you to understand that Christian faith is the most inclusive exclusive. Everybody is exclusive. Every group is exclusive, right? There's no such thing as an all-inclusive group. Everybody has some exclusive. Christian faith is the most inclusive. It looks for the people who are far off and far away. And my, my frustration is that sometimes we make decisions... That people, because of their lifestyle, because of their sins, because of their political views, because of a whole host of reasons, we assume the good news isn't for them. Please, I hope you hear me. I hope that we leave today understanding that it's God's desire that each and every person understand that because of Christ, there is a way for them and that everybody gets invited to the party. Amen? Amen. So one... Because of Jesus, everybody gets invited to the party. Two. Secondly, two, and this is verses 7 through 12. Two. We are responsible for sending out invitations. You know, the Spider-Man films have this... and The Spider-Man narrative has this repeated line over and over again, right? You probably know it. With great power comes great responsibility... That's at the heart of what Paul is saying in verses seven through 12. Paul had received this mystery. He was given this gift. What did he do with it? Look at chapter three, verse seven and eight. I, he says, became a servant of this gospel, right? By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Verse eight, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul says he was given this grace. With great grace comes great responsibility. He sees it as a gift to tell other people about the good news of Jesus. Why does he proclaim it everywhere he goes? So much so that it gets him in trouble. So much so that it puts him in jail. Which again, Paul doesn't complain about being in jail. He's happy to be in jail knowing that more and more people are finding out about the goodness of Jesus. But but why does he evangelize? Well, it's for the same reason we evangelize about anything. Don't you evangelize for the things that you love? Don't you rush to your friends, your neighbors, your your kids. When you see something, when you you go to a restaurant, when when you have an amazing experience, don't you want to tell everyone about it? The things that you point to are the things that are so clearly true that you love. That which we love, we point people to. You got to hear about this new restaurant. You got to see this movie while it's still in theaters. You got to hear this album. It's fantastic. We point people to the things that we love. For Paul, the thing that he is in love with, the thing that has changed his world, is Jesus. And part of the heart of that is that Paul sees himself. As unworthy of the invitation that he has received. Look what he says in verse 8. He calls himself the worst. He calls himself little. Paul was locking people up. He was persecuting people. He was watching people get murdered. And, And Paul sees himself as someone who is so against Christian faith. That when Jesus meets him and changes his life. He feels totally indebted to a life that is rejoicing in the grace of God because he has tasted the grace himself. See, once he had tasted God's grace, it changed his posture to everyone. He got an invite. Some of you, some of you forgot that you got invited. Some of you forgot how messed up you were. You got invited if you are a Christian, God invited you into his kingdom. You. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, of course he invited me. No, 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 you're missing it. You as selfish and self-centered as you are, as, as often as you fail to love people, as often as you are thinking about yourself all the time, as often as you know what is good and choose what is evil, as often as you see the light but choose the darkness, you, you have been invited to God's kingdom. And when you get that, when you get that it's by grace through faith, and you taste it, when you have the ability to see God, you invited me? You invited me? Jesus tells a story of inviting people to a great feast. And he says, go out and invite people to the feast. And there are people who get the invitation, and their response to the invitation is, "Ah, I got other stuff to do. And then the king in the parable Jesus tells, says, go out and invite the people who just don't think they're worthy to come to a king's feast. And Jesus says, that's like the kingdom of God. Some of us forgot that we were the people who when God sent us an invitation in the mail, right? When you, you, What is more glorious than finding in your mailbox an invitation to the kingdom of God written by Christ, paid for by Him, in and through and by His grace, available to you, it can never be taken from you, now and eternity. He invited you and then i want you to see this you got to get this because paul talks about the boundless riches of christ and if you look at how different people translate that word boundless some translate it as unsearchable unsearchable right endless maybe the word i would go is infinite the infinite the infinite riches of christ the infinite some of you infinite riches just think about infinite riches Paul has gone everywhere and does so in the first two chapters of Ephesians. Here's what he says. He says, in Christ, forgiveness of all of your sins. In Christ, victory in this life. In Christ, reconciliation with the God of the universe. In Christ, you're a member of a new society. In Christ, the end of hostility In Christ, access to the Father through Jesus by the Spirit. In Christ, you're adopted. You're adopted. God adopted you in Christ. You are a co-heir with Jesus. A member of the kingdom. And all of that is just an appetizer to the big feast, the glory of inheritance that God will give on the last day. The riches are too deep. Paul calls them boundless, infinite. He gets it. He gets it. So what he gets, he has got to let other people in on. He's got to. Is there anything in your life you can't keep a secret about? Anything in your life that you're like, I just, I have, I have to post it. I have to tell it. I have to shout it. I have to be excited about it. Paul has met Jesus and he wants everybody to know. I have to be honest. I've been praying that God would give our spirit of invitation back to us as a church. Not not the spirit just to come to a church. That's great. That's lovely. My heart, our heart as a church, is not that people would just come here. Our heart is that people in your life who don't know Jesus would come to know him. And the way he's going to do that is by placing people who know him in their lives. And that means some of you. Paul has met Jesus. And for Paul, Jesus is five stars. But I sometimes wonder if our Christian experience is a two-star experience. I wonder if we have so drifted from God and his word and the truths of who he is and his love and his grace and his forgiveness. We've drifted that our Christian faith and our experience of faith has become two stars. And you don't tell anybody about two-star anythings. We will never... We will never share the invitation to the party. We will never be filled with that joy of wanting to see people come to know God until we have once again tasted the riches of God ourselves. The Bible says that people who don't know God are in the dark. And so Paul uses this word, it's a word, uh, it means to enlighten Fotizo is the word Paul uses as he talks about his preaching. It's to enlighten not just some people but all people. All people need this good news. Let me just pause because it would be a shame for us to leave this morning and not do this. Just pause and ask yourself, Who in your life needs Jesus? Who in your life needs boundless riches? Who in your life needs salvation? Who in your life needs revelation and not speculation? Who in your life needs to know that they can be forgiven? Who in your life needs to know that death doesn't have the last word? Who in your life is stumbling around in the dark and needs the good news that God has given and entrusted you with? But Jesus doesn't just give us salvation. He gives us a family based on unity in him. That's part of what is happening in verses 7 through 12. It's the proclamation that through the church, through our unity, through the way we love one another, through the way we help one another, through the way we serve one another, that it serves as a testimony. Our unity serves as a protest to the divisions in the world. It's always been my dream and will always be my dream that what people would say about our church is, man, you people outside of the church, our country, our world is filled with division. But when you all enter into this space, those divisions, while still there, don't matter because we taste a kind of deeper unity that is achieved in Christ. The unity that our world so desperately needs ought to be shining brightly in his people as we gather as a church. And so we proclaim this unity. If we don't proclaim this unity, we shortchange the gospel. If we don't live this unity, we don't live the gospel. Some of us have a personal, private Christian faith. And I want to tell you, Christian faith is personal, but it is not private. All of us are managers and stewards of this good news. And Paul was ready to suffer, be imprisoned for its proclamation. Because it was a privilege for him to do so. It's a privilege for us. And so my hope is that we would be a church that invites people to the party. Because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So let me ask you, are you experiencing the goodness of God? Does your faith and your experience of Jesus, give others the impression, man, I gotta get in on that. And I don't mean that I'm saying that you should have a happy, clappy kind of Christian faith. Often the most powerful testimony is when you are suffering, when people look at your life and they go, man, you've got it really, really difficult. And you go, yes, I do. I do have it difficult, I recognize that. But you know what? I'm experiencing joy and hope and peace and power in the midst of my difficulty that gives people the impression that there is is something, there is a joy and a hope that is stronger than what world, what the difficulties we face in this life can can sort of take away from us. Many of us, I, I I found myself in a conversation just the other day. Many of our world, we believe this. We believe that difficulty in life, that's the obstacle to overcome, to get to joy. If I want joy, I gotta eliminate all of my difficulties, right? but the Bible teaches that joy can be found in the midst of our difficulties because there's a kind of joy that even difficulties can't take away. It's the joy of knowing that we are secure in Christ, the one who is working all things for the good of those who love him. And if we know that, then we can testify to that, people will be riveted because they long for a joy and a hope and a peace that exists in the midst ...of their difficulties... ...not just on the other side of it. Does your faith give others the impression... ...they have to get involved? Does your faith... ...give people the impression... ...that they are invited to? Or do you live your Christian walk... ...in such a way... ...that it gives people the impression... ...that it's so exclusive... ...it's not for them? The beautiful thing about the gospel... Is that it gives us what nothing else can. Notice in verse 12. It gives us freedom and confidence as we approach God. Freedom and confidence as we approach God. Some of us find ourselves at the beginning of 2022, and our faith is a mess, our life is a mess. Our anxieties are a mess. Our worries are a mess. We've got all sorts of chaos in our world. In Christ, you can have something that is strong, sturdy, and stable. Freedom and confidence to approach God. And that's not speculation. That's revelation. May we be the kind of church that invites everybody to the party. Because this gospel isn't just for us, it's for the whole world. Let's pray. Father, we find ourselves here on Epiphany. And we find ourselves at the center of a world and a community that desperately needs Jesus. Lord, you have entrusted us with a message That's what you've given us. That's what makes us different, Lord. You've given us a message. A message of hope, a message of peace, a message of salvation, a message of eternity, a message of reconciliation, a message of unity, a message of justice. A message that in and through Jesus, by repenting and believing in him, we can become new people co-heirs with Christ adopted into the family and able to approach you with confidence and assurance and boldness and faith what greater joy than the endless riches you've given us and Lord so often we hide our faith under a bushel Lord help us to be a city on a hill To be a people who, like on Christmas Eve, found our candles lit up and then brought that light into all the places and spaces where you've called us to go. May we be a people who sees every person that we encounter as someone who desperately needs the gospel. May we see every person as someone who is to be invited to the party. Let us not count anybody out for any reason, but to see that by and through Christ... You have made a way for even us. And therefore, you've made a way for everyone. Help us to be people who proclaim those boundless riches everywhere we go, in every place we can. Help us to be the kind of people who, when they look at our lives, they look at our our whole lives, what they see about us is our love for you and our joy at being a part of your kingdom and our desire that every person might be a part of it as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen.